O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but you set them free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 44, which is the psalm appointed for today, Monday, October the 24th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the book of Ecclesiasticus, and again, it's an apocryphal book. It's not in the canon of Scripture, and the canon just means the rule or the regulation, so that's the ones that have been uh, chosen to be in the um, the the Bible that we use. So there's um, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so the, <clears throat> the Ecclesiasticus is, is an extra book and a book from which parts of the church have said there's something to be gained. And so since it's there, I'm going to use it right now. The gospel is Luke 11, verses 14 to 26. And then in the book of the Revelation, chapter 11, verses 1 to 14. So in Ecclesiasticus, remember, it's, it's Proverbs, essentially. One who trusts others too quickly is light-minded, light-minded, and one who sins does wrong to himself. So that it is a problem, and you're not critically thinking if you trust people too quickly, to put trust in them. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to be cynical towards people. It just means how far do you go in trusting people too quickly? And then one who sins does wrong to himself. How do we wrong ourselves by sin? Well, we diminish ourselves. We diminish ourselves in the same way that Eve diminished herself. She acted on impulse and desire when she had been given an opportunity to act from a higher place, a higher place than the serpent, for instance, which would do everything by desire. But she, on the other hand, and her husband, had the capacity to hear and understand and to choose the good. She had an opportunity to choose good, and she chose evil. So she chose to disobey God. And so in that way, we sin against ourselves. We diminish ourselves by reducing ourselves to the level of, of an unthinking animal, one who can, choo- can choose good and evil. One who rejoices in wickedness will be condemned, and one for, for whom one, and for one who hates gossip, evil is lessened. My father probably was the was a guy who who liked gossip less than anybody. I mean, he would absolutely, if anything smelled remotely like it to him, he was he was moving away and moving on. I wish that I had, you know, half as much <laughs> as my dad did. And so I'll be praying that God will give me that same heart towards gossip. Never repeat a conversation, and you'll lose nothing at all. The way you see it in repeating the conversation is there's some gain to be had at somebody else's expense. With friend or foe, do not report it, and unless it would be a sin for you, do not disclose it. In other words, you could sin by by knowing that that the conversation was somehow someone would come to harm from that in in any shape, form, or fashion, Um, and so it would be a sin not to disclose it. but, But he says, unless it is, then don't. For someone has heard you and watched you, and when the time comes, he will hate you. Have you heard a word? Let it die with you. Be brave. It will not make you burst. Just let it go. Let it go. With such a word, a fool will suffer pangs like a woman in labor with a child. Got to tell somebody, 
right? Like an arrow stuck in the flesh of the thigh, so is a word inside a fool. It's got to come out. Question a friend. Perhaps he didn't do it, but if he did anything, so that he may do it no more. So it's it's don't take the word of someone else whenever, whenever a friend, for instance, is involved. Go to the friend and confront the friend and ask them if something's true, and then it's either untrue or the person is going to be ashamed and won't do it again. Question a neighbor. Perhaps he didn't say it, but if he said it, so that he may not say it again. Question a friend. For often it's slander, so don't believe everything you hear. A person who may make a slip without intending it. Who has never sinned with his tongue? In other words, it's trying to put the onus back on us in the same way Jesus did with speaking of trying to help a brother with the splinter that's in his eye when you've got a log in your own eye. And so it's always a matter of remember who you are. Remember that that you also have sinned with your tongue somewhere along the way. It's, It's a given. Question your neighbor before you threaten him, and let the law of the Most High take its course. So establish the truth of something before you act precipitously. So it's as simple as that, and we need to always remember that. We need to always remember there's there, there's possibly quite a good explanation for whatever it is that, that I'm upset about today, about what someone else may have done. So we need to be careful about what we hear. What we, do we do with what we hear? And, and, you know, it's one of those things that I see all day, every day, it seems, in, in right and left, political uh, or non-political things even, um, where somebody hears something and they assume that it's true, especially if it fits their narrative. And if it doesn't fit their narrative, they assume right away that it's not true. Well, guess what? We all fall short of the glory of God. And so it can be true just because it doesn't fit my narrative, and I'd prefer that it's not. But it's equally likely that if something fits my narrative too closely and my preferred narrative too closely, then the chances are pretty decent that a just-so story is intended to be just-so. So anyway, in the gospel, Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Really? I mean, they see this happening, and it apparently is not a child— it's a man, is, is the way that he's referred to. And so this is cast out. So what benefit would Beelzebul have in casting out a demon like this? Well, uh, a false um, testimony to, to, to witness to the person who cast it out as something other than. So, so there's a skepticism that's appropriate. But there's been too much evidence along the way for anybody to come to this conclusion at this point in time. So to say he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, is to say that he is a servant of the sort of the, the, the worst of the demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. I mean, what is it they wanted? After all that he has done, what is it that they wanted? But some, the, the reality is some people are never convinced. And at some point, we just have to say, that's enough, I believe. I will absolutely close the book on this, and I will believe the evidence that's already been presented to my eyes and to my mind and to my heart. And now I'm going to move on with this as true. But he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. In other words, it's impossible 
and, and this is the passage that um, Lincoln grabbed onto, that, that the divided house is an important principle in all things, and, and we stand in America today as a divided house, and I would say that it's not so much left and right as it is those who believe in the living God and those who do not. And because once you have set your mind against that, then you begin moving in a very different direction, then, then your ethics and morals are, are going to change, and they're going to be different, and, and you're going to have different values. And, and that's what we get with the, the debate right now, the fuss right now, whatever you want to call it, over the issue of abortion. If you really listen to it, there's two sides to the debate, but the two sides are not talking about the same thing. The one side, the secular side in my mind, is the side that takes the side of the woman, period, end of sentence, as though the, this child, nascent child, doesn't exist. And, and that's the distinction is the other side thinks about the child and, and believes that it's there to protect the unborn because of a commitment to the belief that God created this child and brought it into being, and so it needs to be protected. It needs a voice. While the other side just completely neglects it and says that's not a child, in the same way they say that's not God. And so that these really are the dividing lines in all these things. And, and it, I could go through multiple examples, but I'm not going to do it right now because that's not where we are. But, but that's the issue that Jesus is saying here about divided kingdoms. He says, you can't do these things. You, if I'm casting out um, servants of Beelzebul by the power of Beelzebul, well, then, then we have a divided house. Some of those demons are divided against this, these demons that I represent. So he says, no, it's two different things. You're talking about two different spheres. God's casting it, because then he goes on to say, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? And what he's saying here is, is that, that you're not making a right judgment. You have a presupposition that you bring to this. You've already decided that I'm not who I say I am, you're, that I'm not the Messiah, and therefore you've come to this conclusion, not for that reason, not, not for uh, because you've actually judged anything, but because you've made a, a prior commitment to a judgment, and therefore you can't explain what actually happened, and so you come up with what ends up being a nonsense thing. But So how do you make that same judgment about your own people who cast out demons? How do you determine that they're not doing it that way? He says, therefore, they will be your judges. But if it's by the finger of God, which is a, 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 a reference to when the gnats are created in uh, the plague in Egypt, because the magicians of Pharaoh use that term. They can't do it, therefore it's done by the finger of God. It's not sleight of hand, therefore God did it, because there's no other explanation for bringing life out of nothing. And so that, that when he says, it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I'm doing things that are unique. I'm doing things that, that your people can't do. And that's the point is, this is not a, a small child, this is a man that has a demon like this. And so he's been here a while. Y'all haven't done anything about it or have been able to do anything about it, but I have been. So the finger of God points to my uniqueness. <clears throat> when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and who does not gather with me scatters.
So you got to choose a side. That's what Jesus said, just like Joshua told the people in his day, you have two options set before you today. Choose life, right? So it's the same thing that Moses laid before the people when he had the curses from the two mountains, Ebal and Gerizim, the curses from one mountain, the blessings to the other. He said, which one are you going to choose? Well, I think I'll choose the blessing. Well, you got to choose it all the time. you got to choose it every day. So when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none. It says, I'll return to my house from which I came. So once the spirit's been cast out, if we've dealt with it ourselves through dealing with sin or whatever, or it's cast out in this way, it, that, he says that thing's got to find a new home. It's not going to remain homeless. And so when it says, I don't find another hospitable place, it goes back to the place it came from. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So you've got to stay prayed up, and you've got to stay vigilant against these demonic attacks that would come against you. In the Revelation reading today, John says, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, but don't measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it's given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. So three and a half years, this is going to go on, and I'll grant to my uh, two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days during that period of time, clothed in sackcloth. So we, John's told to go measure the part of the temple that, that is dedicated to only the Jews. So that part of the temple he is to measure, but not the court outside the temple, which is where the money changers were that Jesus drove out. He says that's given over to the nations, and it, it always has been. The intention was for the, for the house of God to be a house of prayer for all nations. And so they were allowed to come into that outer court that John's not to measure and, and to, uh, to pray there. But he says here, nope, they're going to trample the city for 42 months. So those same people for whom that area was prepared is no longer holy to me because of what they're doing. He says, these, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they'll prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. They're, they're mourning as they prophesy over what's happened here. And so the city itself has been overthrown, but the temple is, is protected for the time being. He says, these, these witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And so that that's, goes back to Zechariah's prophecy, where he speaks of the two uh, olive trees next to the two lampstands that produce an ever uh, constant supply of oil for those lamps. And he says, that's the meaning of that prophecy. That's who these two are. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he's doomed to be killed. So don't go talking smack or trying to harm God's two prophets, his two witnesses in this time. They have the power to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. Who did that? Elijah. Elijah shut up the skies during that period of time when he was prophesying until such time as God said, it's time for rain. My people have suffered enough, Elijah. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. So who had the power to turn the waters to blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague? Well, that would be Moses. So who are we looking at here? Who are these two witnesses? They are clearly Moses and Elijah. 
because they're given the power that they had in their previous ministry, I guess you'd call it, on the earth. But here they can do it as often as they desire. So they've been given sort of the keys to the kingdom here. It, it's not that, that their power to do these things is circumscribed in any way. It, they can do it as often as they desire. So they can continually provide proofs of who they are. Now, the question becomes, will people accept that power is coming from God, or will they do exactly what we see there in the gospel, which is to turn it around and say their power comes from a demon? And when they finish their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. So where the Lord was crucified is obviously in Jerusalem. So they're going to stay there. The dead bodies will lie in the great in the street of the great city. I mean, what a profound and powerful thing. And, and then so who's going to ascribe power to this beast that comes and makes war with them and kills them? And, and so why is it called Sodom and Egypt? Well, these are the, the, the enemies of Israel. The enemies of God is a better way to say it. They're really Sodom wasn't an enemy of Israel. It was an enemy of God and Egypt while it looked like it was an enemy of Israel, was actually the enemy of God. And that was the proof that all the plagues gave, is that they refused, in spite of those plagues, to turn from idol worship and turn to him. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations, some, will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. In other words, we're going to keep an eye on this thing. This is like Jesus was three days in the tomb, right? So they're not going to they're not going to leave anything to chance here. They're going to they're going to keep those dead bodies right there. Let's see you raise them from the dead while we're all watching, kind of a thing. And those who and it'll be three and a half days for them. So it'll be a little longer than. So the so the miracle of resurrection here will actually be greater, and it'll be more like Lazarus, except that that there's there's um, a permanent resurrection for these. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been a torment to all those who dwell on the earth. Now, <clears throat> it, you see that they've, been, they've had the power to bring plagues and to shut up the sky from rain. And so they have been a torment to the people on earth. But why? They were doing it to get their attention. They were doing it to get them to turn. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and a great fear fell on those who saw them. So, all right, you want to you make it a public spectacle and say these people are, are, are going to—these dead bodies are going to lie here, and they're de- going to decompose, they're going to rot, they're going to do all that? Uh-huh. Well, let's make it a public spectacle with resurrection. They stood up on their feet, and a great fear fell on all who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them in the same way that Jesus went up. But it wasn't his enemies that watched him. It was his disciples who watched him go up. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Remember, there was a, Matthew says there was an earthquake upon Jesus' death. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. We have to judge with right judgments. That's what the um, the first passage says. We've got to judge with right judgments, and we don't have to. We shouldn't be too quick to form an opinion. We should make an investigation of things and then determine what truth is. And then in the 
um, gospel, you see the same thing. People come into false conclusions because of their preconceived notions. They allowed their presuppositions to guide what, what their conclusion was in this situation. The story didn't fit their preferred narrative, so they rejected it in favor of a nonsense narrative, and Jesus shows them that it's a nonsense narrative. And then in the uh, Revelation lesson, people come to a conclusion about these men. They were a torment, but they were tormenting them in order to get them to see the truth. And so it wasn't in hatred that they did these things. No, it was in love that these might turn to him. And so ultimately, they got the, the sign that they looked for, and it terrified them.